All right, so we are in part three of the I Do series. And so the first week we found out that falling in love is pretty much about attraction, but if you're going to stay in love, you have to have the right action. Hey, that rhymed. In fact, this whole sermon is gonna rhyme. I'm just gonna rhyme the whole time. No, not really. No, it's not gonna happen. I just wanna thank Bruce Dial, who did an amazing job last week. Yeah. He talked about how to make love a verb by forgiving and did an amazing job with that. And I just want to thank, that, thank him for that. And so we began the first week with a question, is it possible for two people to fall in love and to stay in love forever? And when we hear that question, there's something in us that says, you know what? I think we can do that. I think it's possible to fall in love and to stay in love forever. If I can just find the right person or if I can just be the right person. But there's something in us, in us that even though it doesn't seem probable when you look around in our culture, there's nothing helping us. The statistics are awful. But there's something in you and me that says that we think it's, it's actually possible. And so we're talking about how during this series. And so into this confusion and all this stuff, Jesus gives us a little bit of help. And we looked at it that first week, and this is what he said. This is what I want you to do. If you want to stay in love forever, falling in love is easy. Staying in love is difficult. And so if you want to stay in love, you have to make love a what? A verb. Yeah, I thought somebody was going to say a lot. <laughs> that works too. But you got to make love a verb. You have to make love a verb. In other words, you have to take the noun that we fell into, and then you have to make it a verb. It has to become something that we do, right? And then Jesus says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love, but learn to love the way I love you. I don't want you to take your love cue from culture or from your parents or grandparents, although maybe those, uh, your, your parents may have been great role models. But Jesus says, I want you to learn to love the way that I love. And so we're going to take a deep look at what that actually means today. And it's challenging, but it's also wonderful. A while back, Melissa and I were traveling, and we were in an airport, and we were sitting, and we're waiting on our plane to board, and right behind us, there is this lady, and I'm assuming that it's her husband with her, and man, everything that he said or did, she told him why he was wrong. Have you ever met this couple? <laughs> he says, hey, I'm going to go get you some food, and she says, well, you always get the wrong thing. You, you never get the right thing. I always hate what you bring back. And so they argue about that for a while. And then they're, and they're loud too. People are like looking around, what in the world? Then he decides he's going to check their weather about where, you know, where they're getting ready to go. And so she tells him that he's too stupid to know how to do that on his phone. And so he's on, he, they're yelling. He's like, no, look, it's right here. She says, I'm sure that's wrong. It's like, it's here. And so she is just on his back the whole time. And it's getting obnoxious. I mean, it's loud. Melissa wants to move. And I'm like, no, no, I'm staying right here. This is fun. This is sermon illustration material right here. And so she's just like, and you know what? To be honest, she probably had a good reason to tell him all that stuff. He, was, he may have been a bonehead. I don't know. But as I began to listen to her harp on him and continue over and over, it began to grieve me more and more just thinking about what this couple's relationship was like that day and what it may have been like when they first fell in love and what the downward spiral that it had taken over years and years and years and how it had gotten there. 
And it just sounded like a horrible, horrible marriage. I mean, I wouldn't want to go home with her. (laughs) He didn't, I'm sure. And so, I mean, how many of us though, I mean, that's funny and everything, but how many of us have done the same thing? Where we've got this person that we are or were madly in love with and we want to remain in love with, but what happens is we get caught up in all the agitations of life and all of uh, we're right and they're wrong and they should have done this and they should have done that and I wish that they were more like this person or whatever it was and we get caught up in all that stuff to where we forget about what it was that made us in love with them to begin with and I think that we all kind of know what if you've been married for very long you kind of know what that pain is like don't raise your hand but uh, where you know what we where the frustrations of everyday life have robbed us of being in love with each other and so today I want to talk about how to keep that from happening And so if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, you can go to your app or or, um, open your Bibles to Philippians. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, here's how it begins. Do nothing out of selfish or, or motivated by selfish ambition or vain conceit. And then this next phrase is the point of this whole message. Here is the heart of what it means to be and to stay in love. It says, but rather in humility or literally in humility of mind, he's talking about an attitude, a decision. It's an internal thing that we're going to live out of our lives. Rather in humility, value others above yourself or ourselves. Act like he is more important than you. Or make decisions as though you really believe that she is more important than you. For example, have you ever been to a wedding where you were not the bride or groom? Did you notice how people stood in line for hours to talk to them and not you? Do you remember how nobody stood in line to talk to you, but everybody stood in line to talk to them? Because in that particular context, I hate to break it to you, you were not the most important person in the room. Did you notice that when the bride walked in, everybody stood, but when you walked in, nobody stood up? Because in that particular context, you are not the most important person in the room. Have you ever been in the presence of like a national hero or somebody who's done something extraordinary? And you're in their presence and you're getting their book autographed or something like that. Or you just meet them somewhere and you don't, you just don't even know what to say. You're starstruck. And you're in the presence of somebody. And in that moment, they really are more important than you. You would even say in that moment, this is a great person. I am honored to be in their presence. Now, now with all that in mind, how would you treat that person? How would you treat them? Well, let me tell you how you treat them. You would defer to them. You would defer to them. You wouldn't interrupt them. You wouldn't correct them if they made a mistake. You, you laugh even when they're not funny. You defer to them because in that moment, The key is respect. It's respect. I'm going to treat you as if you are more important than me. I'm going to treat you as if you have more value than me. Not in the realm of all of humanity and that there's some humans better than others. That's not what I'm talking about. We're talking about in context. See, Paul says this is how you treat other people. 
And specifically, this is how you treat the person that you're in love with or that you want to stay in love with. And so you might say, now, whoa, whoa, Micah, well, they might take advantage of that. Well, we're not talking about abuse or anything like that, but yeah, they might. Well, Micah, well, I don't even know if it's going to be returned to me. What if I don't get it back? Well, yeah, you might not. But that's actually none of our business whether or not you get it back or not. This is how we are to treat them. Hmm. Think about your most valued possession. How do you treat your most valued possession? Well, you're very careful with it. You're even very careful. You're especially careful about how other people treat it. You're protective of it. There's a sense where you treat it with a little bit of awe. And so God is saying, and Paul is saying, you know what? That's how you treat that special somebody in your life. You know, when you first met, you did that a little bit, right? It was like, oh, have you met her? Oh, he called. Have you seen her? You know, have you seen him? There was this sense of, you know, wow, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to handle it too roughly because it's precious. I don't want to lose it. This, this deserves my undivided attention. See, we know how to do this. And in the beginning, there's so much emotion and passion that it, become, it comes a little bit more naturally. But here's the thing. The people that stay in love, they just keep doing that. They learn to take what first came naturally and they begin to do it intentionally. Every single opportunity. It's a decision that we make. It's a verb that we do. It's a lifestyle that we develop. A habit, if you will. And when you see two people doing that, it's absolutely unbelievable. Value her. Value him. Treat with value above ourselves now if that wasn't enough he goes on to elaborate even more look in verse 4 same sentence same idea then he says not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interest of others or to the interest of the other person now this is hard for me and let me tell you why maybe you can identify with it I am naturally interested the most in the things that interest me and I'm not naturally interested in the things that aren't interesting to me. It's not rocket science. You follow that? And you're probably the same way. Which means, left to my own devices, I gravitate emotionally, physically, with my time and my money toward the things that interest me. And the things that, if the things that interest me are not the things that interest, are interesting to the person I love, we've got a problem. And here's what Paul says. Here's what you, he says, here's what you do. Very intentionally express and learn to express interest in the things that interest the person that you want to stay in love with. That's what you do when you want to stay in love. You don't put up with their interest, but you find a way to become interest and, be, and express that interest. And so here's what's interesting. We know how to do this. You know how I know that? Because when you fell in love, you found out what they were interested in and what they were into, and temporarily you were into that. It's like, oh, I, I love to run. Oh, you love to run? I love to run too. You never run in your life. It's like, no, no, I'm a runner. I run. And then you're going to your friends, and you're like, do you have any running shoes that look used? Because I can't go out with like all new shoes. And see, so, you know, we do that. When Melissa and I first started dating, 
she got into stained glass making these beautiful stained glass windows well suddenly I wanted to make stained glass windows not because I wanted to make stained glass windows it's like I'm not into crafts arts and crafts and stuff but you know what I, but I was into her and so I wanted to spend time with her and so suddenly <laughs> see we all know how to do this but once we get into this we've got to learn to stay in it if you want to get in love and you want to stay deep in love you've got to decide and live as if they are more important than you and that means that their interest becomes at least as important as your interest now it's at this point that Paul kind of reads our minds it's like he's saying you know I bet they're reading this and thinking yeah but, but nobody does this like this is extreme nobody's going to do this and so then he takes us now to the part where Jesus said love one another as I have loved you and Paul says well let me kind of just illustrate the way that Jesus loved you because that's our model see and it's not the way your mama or your daddy loved you the way your parents loved each other although those may have been great examples and illustrations he says here is the model let's look at verse 5 in your relationships with one another and so we're talking about that special some, someone in context here it says have the same mindset have the same mindset as Christ Jesus in other words he says I want you to approach your relationship with the person that you're in love with the way that Jesus approached his relationship with you same perspective see this is a command so let's look at verse 6 who taught being in the very nature God so he was God like everywhere he went he was God did not consider equality with God to be something to use to his own advantage now listen this is this is big when we show up in the relationship we're like well hey I'm at least I should at least get 50% of the attention I should at least as good as him or her I'm at least as important and so I have certain rights and so I can demand certain things you know and Paul says this he says this is the model here is Jesus who in his very nature was God and yet not one single time in his earthly ministry did he push the I'm God button hey excuse me could you guys slide over we'd like to have those seats like I'm you know hey it's God I'm Jesus right slide over you know we'd like the front row you know we'd like that table uh you know I don't we won't really need food because I make food out of nothing but we'd like that table we'd like to help you out and so that's where we want to sit hey never in his whole life did he leverage who he was for his own sake see I'm tempted to do this all the time I think we all are because remember you know well I was here first and didn't didn't we know who we are and in a relationship well I bring home most of the income or you know hey I, I birthed those kids or I raised those kids or whatever we all have our own leverage points right because of who we are and because of what we've done but what Paul says is I want you to follow Jesus and here's what Jesus did he was more important than anybody else every time he showed up he was the bride he was the most important every time he showed up he was the hero he was the author he was the celebrity the rock star he was the owner of the company every time he showed up in the room he was the most important person in the room but he never leveraged that for his own sake see that's the model but we do that all the time 
Wow. Let's look at verse 7. He says, Rather, he made himself nothing. Literally, in another translation, that word nothing, it says that he emptied himself. Everything he had coming to himself rightfully, all of his rights, the respect and the attention and the glory, all of that stuff, he emptied himself of all of that. He emptied himself. You know, we have a, we have a saying in culture, and it says, he's full of himself, or she's full of herself. 2,000 years ago, Paul wrote that Jesus emptied himself. Hmm, interesting. See, that's the model that Jesus gives us to stay in love, that he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. See, he didn't have to do any of that. Why would he do that, right? I mean, what was the point? Nobody made him do that. Well, let's look in verse 8. It says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and by becoming, he made a decision. This is a verb. He humbled himself. Nobody else humbled him. He decided on his own. No, no spouse put him in his place. He decided to submit right? Like we talked about, he decided to subordinate his will and humble himself. And guess who he humbled himself to? You, me. He humbled himself by, in other words, what did this look like? What did he do? Did he start coming home earlier for dinner? No, it's a little bit bigger than that. Did he start paying attention during conversations? Well, that would be good, but it was bigger than that. Maybe he started doing better at pay attention to the budget so that there was less friction in, in the relationship. No, it was bigger than that. What did he do to demonstrate that he was placing himself and humbling himself in order to maintain and create this new relationship with mankind? By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow. So let me see if we can unpack this just a little bit. There is a sense in which Jesus had a dilemma, if I could use that word with Jesus. And the dilemma was this, that I can either maintain my rights as Jesus, I can maintain getting the respect due me, I can maintain getting my way, I can maintain everything that I deserve, but not have any relationship with humanity. Or I can dip into their world in order to establish a relationship with them. But in order to do that, I have to give up what's due me as Jesus. My rights, my respect, the glory that's due me as the son of God. But I can't have it both ways. See, I can get everything that I'm due, but I can have nothing to do with them. Or I can become one of them, submit myself to the creature the creation submitting to the creature or the creation in order to pave the way for them to have a relationship with me. But in order to do so, I've got to give up everything that I'm, that I'm due, but I can't have it both ways. See, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he put our lives above his life, our forgiveness above his glory, our greatest need ahead of what he rightfully deserves 
See, he put us first. He put you first, me first. He submitted himself to us. Not only did he need to, we weren't even equals to begin with, right? But the dilemma was this. If I want relationship, I have to die to who I am. And to maintain who I am and everything do me, there would be no relationship with mankind. And your heavenly father and Jesus opted for a relationship over respect. Relationship over demanding his way. Relationship over being right. All of the glory that he should have received. See, he couldn't have it both ways. And my friends, we can't have it both ways either. It's, their, it's our model. And when it comes to that special relationship, if it's going to be everything that we want it to be, God has made it very clear that part of us will have to die. We'll have to submit. And there'll be some things that we'll have to surrender. We can't have it both ways. We've watched people try to do that. And maybe you've tried to do that. And what we end up with is a roommate, a contract, a relationship where we got our way every single time, but we're not happy. We're not in love. Maybe we just tried to please somebody that can't try to be pleased just out of that, but we can't. There's still something missing. Because it's only when two people come together and say, I'm going to surrender my rights to you as you surrender your rights to me. See, that's the essence. That is the epicenter. That's the, that's the most amazing thing imaginable in a relationship. And God didn't just create the potential for that. He sent his son to model it for us. That when we come to God, the reason that we come to God uh, is not just that he was the son of God, but he was the son of God who submitted himself to us on our behalf and consequently paid, our way, paid the way for us to be forgiven. And to call him father. See, he opted for relationship over his personal rights. That's the mandate. That's the requirement for love, for being and staying in love. Say, God, man, that sounds like too high of a price to pay. I don't know. Okay. But don't kid yourself and pretend like you can do it any other way. And I'm telling you that there are people all over the world that will tell you that it is the most awesome thing when you see it. It's the most amazing thing, the most fulfilling thing, and God created you to experience that. Now, here's the thing, and I, and I can hear the thoughts running through, well, what about abuse? We're not talking about that. If you're being, if you're being abused, you need to get out and, and get some help, okay? So we're not talking about that. And then also, well, but what if it's only one person that's doing that? Maybe it's not physical abuse or anything like that, but it's just one-sided forever. Can I tell you a secret? Almost all of us think like that. I can't tell you the times that two people, yeah, but he's got to give first. Yeah, but she's got to give first. Yeah, but he's got to give. And if one of them, if just one of them for a matter of months to prove that it's not just a trick, because we do try to trick each other. I'll, I'll be nice until you're nice to me and then we'll all fix it. But it's not a heart change. That if one person would just commit, you know what? I don't care if I get any, any back or not. I'm doing what the Bible says. 
I can't tell you how many marriages would be saved if one person just says, I don't know if it'll be three months, six months, nine months, years, I don't know, but this is what I'm, I'm, I'm in this marriage. I do, I did, I do, and I will do. And so I'm going to do what Jesus tells me to do, regardless if you're a bonehead or not. I can't tell you how many times that if one person would have done that, the other one would have followed. But nobody's willing to be the leader in the relationship. We're waiting for the other. We're waiting to be the follower. I'm just saying. And so, and you may not even be, you may not even be a Christian and I don't know what you think about the Bible and, or church or all that, but the key is right here. And that's what our heavenly father desires for us. Jesus did not come into this world to be right. He came into this world to submit himself for our sakes for my sake, for your sake, on behalf of the world. And then in submitting himself and surrendering himself and dying for our sins, he discounted the opportunity to be right. He could have nagged everybody in the world to death every single time. Sinner, 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 sinner. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. He could walk around his whole life just saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And he would have been right but we would have had no savior. See, we couldn't have it both ways. Well, Mike, are you saying we shouldn't argue? No, I'm not saying any of that. But what I'm saying is that some point in our relationship, we have to decide, are we gonna err on the side of surrender and submitting ourselves? Or are we gonna decide, no, 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 this is my way, I'm right, and I have to prove it. And I can out, I can out argue everybody to show I'm right. No, you can't have that and stay in love. See, there's a way to resolve every single conflict in a way that is honoring to both parties. Once you decide up front that I'm gonna treat you as if you're the most valuable person, you're the most important person in the room and in my life. And you know what I know about you, whether you're a Christian or not, I know that there is something in you, just like there's something in me, that's like, oh, that would be awesome. See, that's what God desires for you. And that's what God created the potential for when he created human beings. And when he sent his son to be the model of love for us. And so here's what I want to ask as we close. What would it look like today in your relationship if you decided, you know what? I can't have it both ways. So I'm just going to opt for relationship over my rights for love over leverage. What would that look like? What would that look like to consider the interest of the other person over my own interest? What would that look like? You know, we should do that because love is a verb. It's something you do. And that's what people stay in love do over the course of their life together. Is it hard? <laughs> yeah, it's hard, but it's a lot easier than a bad marriage. Is it worth it? Yeah, it's a lot cheaper than a divorce. And if, and if you can find somebody that has that kind of relationship, you'll see there are sacrifices, but it's worth it in the long run. Bottom line, it's a decision that you make and you have to make it whether your partner makes it or not. But if you do, not only will you have fallen in love, but you will have taken the most important step to ensure that you stay in love.
So this week, in a deeper way than ever before, I just want you to make love a verb. I want you to do this thing in that relationship. 